0: Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. Mike and Wade are here doing our COVID-19 online learning experience for our students at Wisconsin Lutheran College. This uh, session is going to be about uh, from the class uh, Theology 105, the intro to scripture, overall uh, look at scripture in one semester. We're getting to the end. In fact, this is the last lesson of of the semester. Where I have the students read Ephesians, First and Second Peter, and First John, but then we're also going to systematically look at prayer and vocation. I don't mean systematically, as we're going to go in depth, but just uh, in a way of looking at it as a system, taking uh, different passages and concepts, and kind of just talking about it a little bit. So we call that systematic theology, sort of. So kind of a hodgepodge of a day, but I think Ephesians, First and Second Peter, um, you know. Do relate and and first John with love do relate to vocation and we kind of through prayer there at the at the end as well. So uh, let's start with Ephesians. Ephesians is one of the prison letters that Saint Paul wrote from Rome, along with uh, Philippians, Colossians, and and, and Philemon, and some others. Um, let's let's start with this and and maybe wait. I'll I'll get you going right away and then I'll I'll finish up. Um, <clears throat> the idea in the Greek en Christo in English in Christ. I mean, when I say to uh, uh, a Lutheran theologian like yourself, "in Christ," that's kind of something we think about quite quite a bit. And so, if I threw that to you, what would be the first thing that came to mind?
1: And we're talking about this in Paul's epistles, or or just when, with regard to prayer. You threw out a lot
0: of topics yeah, places I think we were going. Yeah, I think in to... Paul's epistles, in in sure. Christo and Paul's epistles. Yeah,
1: I mean, when when well, Paul loves that phrase first off, especially uh, in letters like Philippians. Um, but to, to be en Christo, to be in Christ is, uh, I mean, a a helpful way that, uh, was drilled into us at Samarit in the sphere of, um, we are in the sphere of Christ. Uh, we are under his care. We are in his protection. Um, but to be in Christ too is also to be under his name. It is to be, um, Dressed in his righteousness. It is it is everything that comes with our justification and our our sanctification. So it it can be a catch-all phrase. Now, it, it can also be more specific, you know, depending on the verse that he's using. Um, but it is, uh, it's kind of talking about the new eon, the new reality uh, that has come with our rebirth, with our regeneration. We are no longer uh, uh, in the flesh in the same way. Now, we're still sinners. We still have a sinful nature. Um, but we're no longer in the flesh or in the sphere of of the fallen world or whatever lost condition you might want to use um but we are now in the in christ in this new eon in this new um reality uh we recorded on romans the other day right we're being transformed in the renewing of our minds uh these are all our justification and our sanctification uh, wrapped up i don't know if i answered that well No, that's but, good
0: i mean and we think of like a circle let's just like, yeah i would draw a circle on the board here and. For our justification, it's in Christ. Like if I'm outside of the circle and I'm trying to justify myself, that's a problem. I'm in Christ. And then, but that our Christian life as well, too, that our hope is in Christ. That, um, uh, you know, even going so far as to say the order in the world, right? John calls uh, Jesus the Lugus, and we might think of that as order. Uh, John. John talks about him, Jesus, as being the word in Greek, logos. We, we talked about that a little bit when we, when we talked about the nativity of Christ. But my, my sanctification, my life after being justified, who I am, is also in Christ, right? It is something that is done through Christ, or rather Christ is using me, so he's working through me to love other people. So think about like a circle, and I'm in this circle kind of thing. Uh, that that's one way to look about it. Uh, that 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 Greek concept probably could go on and on about it. But for our purposes in this class, I think my justification, how I'm saved, is in Christ. But also my my life is in Christ too. I'm connected to him, and connected to his death and his resurrection. And he's going to uh, Saint Paul in the letter to the Ephesians uh, is going to play this out this idea of justification and sanctification, and I think in a very vocational way. And we'll get to vocation in just a second. But I like to read to you probably the probably the most well known, or at least I think the most important couple verses in his letter to the Ephesian congregation, chapter two. Uh, we'll start. Uh, we'll start at verse eight. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So notice the piling up of, of phrases that St. Paul uses here. You have been; It is by grace you have been saved, and this is through faith. We'll come back to that. But then he piles it up, not from yourselves. It is a gift of God outside of us not by works so that no one can boast. And so he's hammering home. It's almost like
1: Paul in his epistles keeps throwing those like (laughs) disclaimers in, in case we don't have it sink in.
0: And Ephesians is a a later letter for him. Um, And so he probably has heard all the objections, right? So he is like, just so you know, it's not by works, right? So that you can't boast. And that echoes of Romans, right? Um, You can't, you're not going to boast Gentiles. Uh, Don't, you know, you, you are grafted onto this, if, uh, to this tree, this Jewish tree, uh, don't think you're, so, you're, you're, better than that. Um, and so he is, he is cutting off arguments that may come at this idea that we're saved by grace alone. And we ourselves, whether we admit it or not, put arguments against that as well, usually in other people, but also in ourselves where if it's by grace alone, that is an undeserved gift. We don't deserve it. Well, then should I not even do good works or, yeah, probably not. Or, you know, asking me or not, (laughs) or, um, what about works? Right. And so he plays with this in a very tight language. I mean, this is why this, this, uh, three verses here, chapter two, eight, nine, and 10 is just so tightly woven. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't waste any words in this and really talks about the whole Christian life. Um, <clears throat> so he talks about the relationship between grace and works. So we were always told, right, that uh, we are saved by grace alone, not by works. But grace is never alone without works. Uh, you like that phrase? I mean, what, what would you unpack that phrase for me that we're saved by grace alone, not by works, but grace is never alone without works
1: I think I've heard it with faith instead of grace or faith but but yeah yeah. um yeah I mean I think it can be helpful I don't think it's anything much different than what James is uh saying when he says faith without works is dead the problem with phrases like that is always um when you use them right uh sometimes they're they're used and it's a wonderful time to use it and they're super helpful other times it's used as like a, a club um where it becomes a way of trying to uh, shame your faith into works which is not how faith works so mm-hmm. i think as it's understood property properly i mean luther will speak that way as well this notion that uh you know we're saved by faith alone but faith is never alone um we are the or christ is the vine we are the branches right we're going to produce fruit uh in him the uh if you are righteous, the you are going to do righteous right right we are g- good works are necessary we we confessional lutherans say but we don't say good works are necessary for salvation, um, but they're necessary because God commanded them, because faith produces good works. Uh, it's just so long as we're we're not using this as a way of reorienting our faith uh, to where now we're trying to look inside of ourselves um, or to the law for motivation, uh, then this becomes problematic because then you're going to fall o- more away from Christ, not towards him. Um, but if it is simply a reminder that faith is a, a wonderful thing, I mean, Luther can sing the praises of faith. We're not fideists. we don't um, we don't talk faith for the sake of faith. But but faith, this gift of God, is a, a wonderful living thing that is capable of moving mountains, right? Um, and so, uh, I think it can be helpfully understood. We just we don't want to turn it into. Uh, we can turn even the best phrases into uh, into clubs.
0: So. If I'm looking at my Christian life and I, I got two paths that I can go down. I wouldn't with. advise you look at yours. Mate, <laughs> if I, if I look at how I'm doing right, I can either, uh, I think one is a, a path of delusion. The other path is one of depression. If I go down the path of delusion, I start to think I'm pretty good. Right. So I, I start listening off my sins and I go, well, I haven't murdered anybody in like months. Uh, never cheated on my wife, all these kinds of things. And, and I can delude myself into thinking I am a good... And maybe even I understand this concept that I'm saved by grace alone. But those works prove them to me that I am I am, am by, saved by grace alone. So notice that I'm looking in. I'm being curved in. We're looking at myself for proof of my salvation instead of being curved outward to, to the cross, the objective thing that happened in time and space in history that Jesus died in the And so cross. even
1: when you're looking at your works... Uh, you're not looking at where you're going to find your works is in the person of your neighbor, mm-hmm. right? That's who you've done works for. If you're looking within yourself for your works, then these weren't really truly good works to begin right. with.
0: And so then, if I'm honest with myself, if I, I like to say if I'm cursed with honesty, then I fall into the ditch of depression and I go, I haven't done this, you know? And even when I start thinking, oh, I did good works, so I'm curved inward and it wasn't really a good work if I did it for myself. You did me a good work yesterday or two days ago. You, know, you bought me pizza. I bought you lunch. That was, that was nice. I really appreciated that. Yeah, I and I did it. I didn't do it for myself. No, you
1: were looking at me, and I could tell you only saw me, yep, your neighbor, yep. and you thought Wade looked hungry. Well, I was kind of hungry
0: too. Yeah,
1: you did get wings for yourself, in addition. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, <clears throat> I think of the two two ditches on either side of the road. I want to go down the road, looking at Christ objectively. I'm a sinner, but He saved me. I'm free from trying to please Him and I see my neighbor. That's never going to be perfect. I'm I'm a sinful person, so I don't want to go down the delusion path where I actually think I'm pretty good, or the depression path where I really start to see that I'm not what I think I am. I'm not as good as I think I am. And both of those are looking inside for comfort and for evidence of faith, instead of looking outward to Christ. So it's the difference between being in Christo, in Christ, and trying to find something outside of Christ to give me comfort and hope. Trying to, trying to, where do I hang my hat at the end right. of the day? Right? So that, that faith thing, and let's start with that faith thing, and then we'll get into vocation, the second half of this, uh, this uh, three-verse passage. So we gotta be very careful that when we say that we're saved by faith, That's kind of a funny word, by. What we don't mean is we're saved because of faith, although we could rightfully sort of say that in some context. What we want to make sure that we do is we don't say, oh, I'm saved because I believe, as in, well, I made this step towards God. Now, the problem with that is, first of all, then it doesn't become grace anymore. It's something that you did, right? So I'll tell my students it's like I... I bring a baby home from the hospital, my, my newborn baby, and I put it on. Oh, it is your baby. Okay. Yeah. I was and, I put it, that. and I put it on the front porch, and I say, hopefully one day you can decide to be a part of this family. Let me know. Knock on the door when you're ready to make the decision. No, love comes first. And I, I even will help create that faith with words of love, and I will show this child love so that's a building of a trusting relationship. That's not an exact parallel with how we deal with, with God. He is the one that gives us faith. It's a, it's a dead heart that we have. And then faith is, is created in that with word, the spirit using the word to do this. So we got to be careful that probably better to say we're saved through faith rather than because of faith. But both of those can be sort of played with, and we can get ourselves into trouble. So, uh, saved by faith alone—that's fine, as long as you understand that you're not doing anything for that, right? You can reject God, but you can't accept Him. Just like, uh, and that is a temptation
1: that—that that we, you know, I think it's always says something about us as fallen human beings that we t- we can turn even faith into a work, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you mentioned when we say you're saved by faith alone, so long as you understand you're not doing anything. I mean, even faith. How often don't we hear people speak about their faith as if it were
0: yeah. their word? and that's our common way of thinking about faith, especially in America. But I sorry for interrupting. No, with that too, that's perfect. And in, in in our culture, our broad culture, maybe not just in the Western American culture, but we look at faith as a virtue, right? He's a faithful person or you just gotta, you just gotta live by faith. Like right. that person's what, the, what we mean is that person's a positive person, <laughs> you know, like he doesn't get too down that he maybe trusts himself or, her, or, or is, is going about life saying, um, you know, despite all the evidence, I'm going to go forward. Right. Yeah. We see it as a virtue. Or are we hear you, the,
1: the, the lifelong Lutheran who knows better, who, you know, faced is on their deathbed and says, I, I just don't know if I have enough faith. Yeah. As if it's this thing that they have to conjure up enough of it, as if God hadn't said, the bruised reed I will not break, and the smoldering wick I won't extinguish. So I always tell my students with that, when they say, if someone says that, well, what are you doing? Well, you let them smell the fires of hell for a while. You say, I'm sure you don't, (laughs) and you let it linger. And then as we had a professor who used to tell the story, you say, to hell with your faith. Look to
0: Christ. Right. And that's, that's how faith is only as strong as the object of faith. Right. So I'll, I'll use the analogy. Like, you know, you can remember when our kids were little and you, you, if you put them like up on a, on a chair or a table, they'll jump to you.
1: Right. I used to put them on the roof of the house.
0: (laughs) Whether they're looking, whether you're looking or not. Right. Right. And so, uh, and, and if they jump and you're not ready, they fall. And so their faith, they may have the greatest faith in the world. They total, totally trust dad, but it's only as good as dad. Right. So I, it's. I I can, you know, who has more faith than the suicide bomber, right? Um, We're not talking, oh, he's got blind faith. And so that's super great. No, it matters what you put your trust in. It's always an objective kind of thing. So we gotta be very careful. And I think Paul tightly puts this there. He makes it very clear. You don't do the thing, right? It is not, you're justified by faith, not by works. So think of our two systems again, uh, students. A righteousness by law versus a righteousness by faith. A righteousness by faith means Jesus did it for you and you believe it rather than reject it and put yourself in the first system where you say, judge me for my, for the content of my heart. Judge me for what I've done. Um, that's a bad situation when it comes to God. It's generally a good situation in life, right? You are judged by, by what you do by the law, but that doesn't work when it comes to love and it certainly doesn't work when it comes to getting the forgiveness of sins. So the second half of that passage, this is where we're going to get into vocation. So students, I am kind of jumping around in the notes a little bit here. Um, so I'll reread verse 10, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So he then says, okay, these good works that are going to accompany faith because you've been made righteous and righteous people are slaves to righteousness. They're going to do righteous things. You're going to screw up. God, you're going to do God who things. gave you faith is now going to give you good works you can do. Okay. And then just in advance, he says, I'm going to give you these good works to do. And which is just so fantastic because all of the things about vocation that we talk about are, are in this, in this phrase, first of all, God gives us purpose. So he, he knew that we would be here today serving our students, right? He had created this space and this time and this good work for us to do. And quite frankly, if we didn't have this, we would be sleeping all day and being fat and being lazy, right? So he has given that us purpose. Marvelous. Yes, it does. He gives us this purpose. It's marvelous for about a week. Can we play video games too? It's marvelous for about, you can play video games, but it's marvelous for about a week and then you start kind of, you know, uh, feeling bet, like I've, maybe I'm worthless and, you know, you fall oh, into depression. That might not be everybody. Yeah. You and I both are that way. Otherwise, we wouldn't be, we wouldn't strive to do, to do what we do. Yeah, I strive rather minimally though. I don't know about that. You know, you didn't have to get a doctorate.
1: That's true, right, but that also meant I got to
0: hang out with people. yeah but you could you could you could have done the bare minimum and That's survived. True. and I'm afraid many people do. And I think that 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 is a recipe for depression, really. but it also noticed that he has cr- created good works for us to do after he's already justified us, right so that that is something that is not part of the equation here. Now you have a reorientation. So think about an ethical orientation that is going, that is vertical between God and man. I got to do something to make God happy. I got to make daddy love me. I got to live up to the family name, however you want to put it. But when you realize you can't do that because it can't be perfect and you don't have to because Jesus was righteous in your place, there's an ethical reorientation that occurs. Now your ethical orientation is going to be horizontal your time, your energy, everything is going to be geared towards neighbor. And so a good work's not really about you. It's about neighbor. Now, remember, 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 though, this is not, oh, geez, I'm just, a, you know, it's a, it's all about somebody else. It's never about you. There are countless vocations that have been used for your benefit. So let's maybe just talk vocation, just, uh, just in, uh, vocation proper just for a second. Um, what we mean by vocation is that there's there's a calling. That's where we get vocation. Think voice. So a there's going to be a caller in this situation. It's God. You're going to have somebody who's called. That is the Christian, and then you're going to have um, somebody who is being served, and that we call neighbor. So the neighbor could be my wife. The neighbor could be somebody I've never met. Uh, that is a you know a, a stockholder of a company, um, or a person that is affected by maybe a business's environmental um environmental or not so environmentally friendly uh, uh, policies so I'm always serving somebody else and every one of us has multiple vocations we may divide them up by family civil church and career so my family vocations father husband cousin brother uncle second uh, cousin second cousin I mean there's there's endless third ones. Third cousin. Yeah. And in each of those, I, keep going, I have a relationship. Now, I was going to keep those... going until you did that pause,
1: like that <laughs> annoyed pause
0: that Some of those relationships are like very important and have to do with my everyday life, like being a husband. Some of them, I'm not obligated, like my third cousin 14 times removed. I'm not really obligated a lot to that. Well, mine lives right. with me. Yeah, yours does. <laughs> yeah. And in that case, then that, that vocation changes. My civic vocation is to be a citizen. My mom raised
1: me. She always used to say, Wade, you always got to look out for your 13 cousins, four times removed. Four times removed. Yeah. So she's big into genealogy. She's had to figure out who they
0: are. Do you send them a Christmas card?
1: Yep. I try to really look out for them.
0: My, uh, civic vocation is I'm a citizen of the United States, the city of statistically your third
1: cousin, 14th time removed. Is the one that's having the most hard, hard time. In Statistically. Life. Yeah. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> um, and if that person's right in front of me, then I'm called to serve them. Yeah. Is now, it, it, the most modern Arkansas. Yeah. Um, the third Zoom category is on, the, the church. So I'm a member of a congregation, but I'm also uh, a pastor. Right. And so I have obligations there. And then the fourth one is loosely defined as career, but that, that's a bad term, uh, As a student right now, you have a calling, you have obligations to your fellow students to not cheat, right, to be fair, to you have uh, something to the campus community, you have an obligation to your professor, but you have uh, also an obligation to future people that you're gonna serve that you don't even know yet by getting a good liberal arts education. Um, A retired person can still have a calling in many, many different ways, being a volunteer, something like that. A paycheck is not a prerequisite for, for a calling. So what God does is he says, I'm going to put on the mask of these people. And by that way, I'm going to be intimate with the world. I'm going to work in the world and I'm going to use these people. So, uh, you know, if you're a little kid and, and you say your prayers before you got your mac and cheese dinner, uh, you, and you thank mom for that mac and cheese dinner, you know, what gives, are you thinking God or you're thinking your mother or father? Well, the answer is both the father, uh, the, the father in heaven put on the mother or the father to feed you, right? So just think about all the different vocations that were used just so you could have lunch, right? Farmer, truck driver, FDA inspector, grocer, all those kinds of things. God could have and has in the past with Israel just sent down man and quail, but he uses people in that way. He's intimate. He hides behind what we call masks. So think of like a Halloween mask. He hides behind the mask of farmer, truck driver, FDA inspectors to serve you. And, when, when that happens, and we'll screw it up, but when that happens, the person in the vocation is elevated to a high degree because they're doing God's work. So we may think of God's economy of love. So that person gets purpose. That person also can find uh, satisfaction and the proper amount of pride in their work. They may even get lost in the craft of their work, even though The rest of the world may see that their work is not important. They don't get paid enough. Um, They're disrespected maybe, but God sees those as important, right? God sees everybody as the same. He does not look what man looks at. He looks at uh, the heart, but more than that, what, what that faithful heart is doing for the world. So he sees the Senator on par with, um, Any other, you know, the truck driver, anybody else, because they are a part of our economy. And in in this coronavirus pandemic scare, we really appreciate that all of a sudden, right? Like, who cares? You know, the senators are going to give us money now. We just heard that today. Fine. Whatever. But I'm really concerned about the nurses. I'm really concerned about the garbage collectors. I mean,
1: I am extremely thankful for whoever, like, cranks the internet thing to
0: keep it Mm -hmm. going. So... When I start to see how many vocations are being served so that I can just function in day-to-day life, I realize that really no amount of work that I could do could ever reach the level of equity with the love that I get, right? So the Beatles were wrong that the the love you give is equal to the love you get. It's always going to be so much more. It's not a zero-sum game kind of thing. Didn't the Beatles sing that? The love you get is, <clears throat> yeah. yeah, pretty it sure it's the Beatles. Um, so we call vocation then a Christological endeavor. And so if you remember what, Saint, or what Jesus said in, in Matthew uh, chapter 25, he says, on the last day, there's going to be a separation between, I'm going to judge the, the living and the dead. There's going to be a separation between the goats and the sheep. And he means the goats are the people who are going to be judged by righteousness, by law. And then the people that are faithful believers are going to be judged according to his righteousness. And he says to the believers, you know, well done, good and faithful servants. He doesn't say that, but, um, you know, when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you came to visit me. And the sheep are like, we never did that for you. You got us mixed up. And he says, whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. And so when I serve somebody, I serve them as if they were Christ. This has huge ramifications for human rights, right? I see people as not just people, but as Christ. They're elevated to a very high degree. And this is, this is a big deal for business, right? I don't see my clients as things, means to my salary, I don't see them as consumers. I see them as not just people, but my neighbors. And in fact, Christ. You're, you're right about the Beatles. And when I it's
1: the uh, end is the Beatles song.
0: And when I am, when I am served by somebody else, because I know Christ is that person's coworker and puts on a mass. So it's Christ feeding me. Um, then I see labor as Martin Luther King Jr. did, right? All labor has dignity. And so if I'm at a restaurant and someone serves me, that's Christ serving me, even if they they, they screw it up.
1: They're going to get fined right now though. Yeah.
0: It's Christ who is serving me. And I bet you I tip better, right? You know, but I look at different people through the lens of Christ, through the lens of vocation, through the lens of these people are important and are used by God in his economy of love and are people that are redeemed by God this also has something to do with me and my self-esteem, right? So I'm not looking for the mere adulations of man. In fact, because we're created for drama and we're created for something so big, creating the image of God, we're just created for something. We're never going to be satisfied. As we say, we're different than the squirrels. The squirrels don't look up at the night sky and say, I wonder what it would be like to go to the moon, but we do. And I think this kind of explains why there's a uh, award show every other week. It seems in Hollywood, like they just can't get enough praise. Why the NFL quarterback has to be the highest paid quarterback, even though what do you, what's the difference between 20 million and 21 million, right? Um, it is, is something that we're never quite satisfied. So if you're just a regular Joe working at a regular job, um, it can be very easy to say the world doesn't respect me. I don't get paid enough. Uh, this is unfair. You can fall into depression or you can start uh, blaming other people. You can, you can tailspin real quickly. But if you understand that God knows that your job, fixing the, fixing the plumbing or collating the paper, whatever it is, that even though the world may not see it as important, God does. And because you have that, who cares then? This is the only place you can get, this is the closest you can get to that phrase, I don't care what other people think, which of course is not true. We all care what people think. But you can not only find satisfaction in your job, you can take pride in it. And you can even get lost in the craft of your, of your work. Um, anybody can get lost in the craft of any work, I think. And you, if you ever talk to somebody who likes their job, I mean, it almost is kind of like, can be annoying sometimes when you talk to somebody, whatever their job is, and they'll, they're they excited about it. They'll talk to you about the details of their yeah. job and how they do this and whatever. I actually,
1: you, since I've learned that phrase from you about getting lost in the craft of your work, whenever Trisha yells at me for playing video games too much, <laughs> I'm like, Hon, I'm lost in the craft of my work. Yeah, but that's not exactly. And then she kind of shakes her hand yeah. and says, That Mike Berg. That Berg.
0: That Berg. Twenty um, years
1: of dealing with yeah, burn.
0: Not that, not the first time somebody is shaking their fist at me, but you know what I, I, I'm saying? Like, like, if, and by the way, that's easier if you work with your hands, right? Because if you, if you're a plumber, you're like, either the plumbing works or it's not. Yep. Doesn't work. If you're a video game player, <laughs> if if you're getting paid, sure.
1: But no, you're using your hands for that, though.
0: Yeah, that's working with your um, hands. But I think like a middle manager, which becomes a little bit more difficult because how do you judge success or not? It's easier to say. I built that building, right? I was a part, I was the mason on that project. Um, but still, you can find craft in, in your job and say, this is well done and this was meaningful for the economy, for other people. I've served my neighbors who are not only my clients, but my employers, my coworkers, that kind of stuff. So you can find great satisfaction in work, which has a lot to do with self-esteem and human rights and, and uh, productivity at work. And so even secular... Um, scholars who look at work will say when people take their work as a sense of calling, um, they tend to be more productive. Uh, There's a great, great story about uh, um, uh, two authors. Uh, It wasn't their story, but they, they relate it in their, in their book, make your, make your uh, work a calling. And they talk about the guy on the construction crew, the road construction crew who holds the sign that says stop or slow. You know, so he's got one sign that says that's the flagman, right? That one side says stop, the other side says slow, and he's letting traffic in. And he's on this mountain pass, and it's hot, and it's uh, just a brutal day. And he's letting one line go in through this uh, through through this uh, two-lane highway or this construction up ahead. And the the person pulls up who's got stopped, right? He's like, Oh, can't let one more guy through, right? But he's going to have to wait there for 20 minutes as the other traffic goes through. And he starts talking to the flag man. He says, this must be the worst job, right? It's got to be so boring. Nobody likes you, right? Because you're slowing traffic down and, and the person close to you, the person you stopped is probably angry that they didn't let you go one more car go through and got to be the most boring thing, just turning the sign. And the guy answers, the flagman answers, no, this is, I love my job. And he said, this is why, because I'm keeping you safe and I'm keeping my boys down the road safe, right? He understood that his job was of utter importance. And so the world looked at it and says, that doesn't get paid very well. It's hot, it's stinky, it's terrible. People don't like you. And he says, my job is important. And so he had a sense of calling there and a sense of purpose. And you can find that in any any job and that's one of the gifts of vocation that God created good deeds in advance for us to accomplish all right I think Ephesians but um and some uh uh uh, first and second Peter too will talk about vocation even though they don't mention the word vocation uh you'll see in a lot of these letters that they'll talk about okay you're going to be freed you're freed from trying to please God saved by grace alone but here's how the Christian life works. And then often it'll be like, okay, here's about the family. Here's about the church. Here's about workers. Um, and so we'll go through kind of these vocational type subjects. And Ephesians, uh, St. Paul talks about marriage here. And I'd like to talk just a little bit about marriage there. Um, and so we're talking about uh, Ephesians 5. Ch- ch- 5. And then, and if you notice in your Bible, six talks about children and parents, slave and master. So the economy there. I mean, he's going through these vocational things as Paul writes
1: these letters. Once again, a lot of them are catechetical, and this would be his table of duties. Mm-hmm.
0: And so, um, first twenty-one, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then twenty-two, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body So at first glance, if we are thinking about our relationships, not as the love of neighbor, um, God working through us for the love of neighbor, not about us, but about God loving neighbor. So you may think, let me, let me stop and and play with that a little bit. Um, So I should think about my marriage as this is really God loving Amanda. And he, he, he has honored me. But also
1: having a sense of humor.
0: Yeah. He has honored me. To be a part of this divine equation and so I'm lifted to a, a high, higher, higher degree and so God wants Amanda to be loved, encouraged, protected, provided for and and he uses me to do it and it's a privilege to be a part of the equation and vice versa. God wants me to be loved, encouraged, protected, taken care of and provided for and so he uses Amanda, my wife, to do that for me um, and so you're lifted into something higher but if you think about relationships, not as you're, it's a privilege to be a part of this relationship in God's economy of love, but start thinking about in terms of power, as we often do, then you're going to read these verses, submit to one another, wives submit to your husbands, and you're going to say, what the heck? Right? Um, but if you notice that in verse 21, God says, or St. Paul says, God says through St. Paul, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so a true marriage is, is Christ, uh, the groom is going to be like Christ and do everything for his bride. I mean, Christ gave up his life for his bride. He washed his disciples' feet, right? And and I would say to, uh, you know, uh, in premarital counseling to the guy, I'm going to make you promise to be Jesus to your bride. And you can't do that. You're going to need his help, but he's going to use you for this and notice what what Christ did and I know I'd say to the guy I know man you would you would give up your life for your your bride like there's a runaway bus and you'd push her out of the way and you'd get hit by the bus I know at least we we would say we would do that but I'm talking about a regular Tuesday night when you have been watching you've watching sports center for the third time in a row or whatever that you would do everything you'll put her on a pedestal That your your inclination would be, what can I do to make your life better? And you see what Christ did for His church. He put her in this beautiful white wedding gown. He covered her with righteousness. He put her on this pedestal, and then and only then does the church then in reverence submit to Christ. Right? We don't submit to Christ in a loving way if He's a tyrant or if He didn't do anything for us. It's because He loved us, and so. The husband is to love his bride so much so that she can't help but love back in an unconditional way. That's that's the radicalness of love. It's not a power structure. And if you think about power, you've totally lost it. So if you say to the to the the you know, the newlywed, the the groom, say, if you ever have to say I'm the man, that's why you haven't been the man, right? You're supposed to love so unconditionally that she cannot help but love back and so love is in an agape way and students we went through this is a self-sacrificing love a love that always has the object of love in mind so keep that in mind when you think when you hear about these roles of men and women that the groom is supposed to be like christ yes headship but headship in a way that is so loving and so self-sacrificing that there's a, a reciprocity there there is a love that comes back in the same way and when you start thinking that, and I think this is generally good just in life, that nobody owes me anything and I owe everybody everything. I think that's, that's totally different than what we, what we grow up with. And in the left-handed kingdom, it doesn't work very well, right? But in the right-hand kingdom of God's church and love, this is what it's supposed to be. I don't owe, my wife doesn't owe me anything. I promised everything to her. So I like to think about as a football field, we're both on the, on the end zone lines, different end zone lines and i promise 100 yards i'm going to go all the way and she promises 100 yards to go all the other way we don't promise we'll meet at the 50 yard line because then it's no longer about love then it's a contractual agreement and i can always say well you went 49 yards and so i don't have to keep my end of the bargain now in reality so it's marriage can't be about compromise that's 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 not going to work But in reality, you do get compromised because there's times I'm going to go 75, she's going to go 25. There's sometimes she's going to go 99 yards and I'm going to go one yard. But because we owe each other everything, we don't start pointing the finger. We start saying, I can do better. Now, this does not mean that, you know, marriages can't fall apart. Doesn't mean that some people have deserted marriages and there may be an unfortunate situation where somebody has to leave the marriage. There are biblical grounds for marriage. But on the outset... It's Christ in his church, an unconditional agape love. And quite frankly, you and I don't have that. We need it from God. Um, one last thing about vocation, then we'll just briefly talk about prayer. Uh, think of the flow of love like a waterfall. So I go to church on Sunday and I get God's love. And I can't throw God's love back up, like, just like I can't take a bucket of water and throw it back up to God. It's just going to fall back down upon me. God even makes my praises and my prayers about me. But what I can do is redirect that water. And so I can stick out my hand and redirect that water of love to my neighbor. And so it's through me to my neighbor. Now, when it comes through me and, you know, rolls down my arm, it comes with all the dirt and it goes through my fingers. It, it is, it is diluted because it comes through me, but it's still God's love. Thinking on that aspect of prayer, uh, prayer in its basic way of thinking, uh, is talking to God, right? God allows us to have this ability to talk to him and he hears our prayers. Um, that's pretty unique. Um, and notice that the Avenue is words, but prayer is not a means of grace by what we mean by that is I pray. And then God gives me something good. So the means by which I get God's undeserved love is my prayer. I did something. No, God's going to feed me no matter what. I don't ask for We don't ask for the toddler to say, please make me lunch before we feed the child. No, we love the child first, and then we teach the words, and this is where the prayer analogy comes in. We preach the words of love. Say thank you, say please, say I love you, Daddy. And in that way, a relationship of trust is built. So the words of prayer is God giving us the words of trust and and love. So we have this relationship, so we know where to go to. And in your prayer life, just let it out. Don't worry about them. Don't worry about the grammar. Don't worry about saying what's right or or wrong or whatever. Just let it out. God knows what you're thinking anyway. And please know that the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ are also advocating for you. So there's a a conversation going on in heaven between Father, Son, and Spirit in a passionate way. St. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, the Spirit uh, has groans that words cannot even express for you, for you. So sometimes we put too much pressure on our prayer life. Just let it flow naturally, let it out like a fog, and remember that prayer is a father-child relationship kind of thing. So, since I have daughters, I think about these daughters. That you're—they often will say to you, you. To me, you promised, Dad, right? And you say that to God. You promised, right? You may even shake your fist at God at some times. You're allowed to lament and say this is not fair. You're also allowed to pray for everything. Pray for big things. My kids ask me for ridiculous things, and sometimes I have to say no. But I want them to ask me. Um they ever ask you for Uncle Wade to come over and play Playstation? <laughs> no, we don't have Playstation in our house. I, I know, but they're just not. maybe you they... could bring one over. Um so And I can think about a child sitting on a father's lap and maybe beating her little fist on the, on the chest of the father, not fair, not fair, upset about whatever. And in this relationship, the father puts his big burly arms around the daughter, the, the, you know, the four-year-old daughter or something like that and takes it and comforts her. And that's what I think prayer is finally about. God gives us the words of a trusting relationship and it may be passionate. Sometimes it may be lament. Sometimes it may be not fair. Sometimes it's praying for crazy things. And do remember that God's answers to our, us are are one of the following. Yes, no, wait, or count your blessings. So ask for the Corvette, the Mercedes Benz, the Mustang, ask for all of these things. But God may say, um, need to count your blessings right now or maybe just wait or he may just flat out say no that's not good for you or he may say yes this is the relationship that we have and prayer builds that relationship so pray pray often pray incessantly uh saint paul says but notice that please remember that god's love is not dependent on that prayer like he's going to love you no matter what all right we're just about out of time but you you look like you want something to say
1: the uh as the great theologian Garth Brooks said, <laughs> right. sometimes I thank God. How's it go, Mike?
0: I have no idea. I'm not a country For
1: unanswered guy. prayers. Yeah, okay. There you go. Although no prayers technically unanswered, but. Yeah. But. <clears throat> Maybe yeah. one last thought. Because he, he met his high school girlfriend and, you know, he, he must have like prayed back in the day to marry her. Mm-hmm. But then he was with his wife that he did marry. Mm-hmm. And so he was thankful for the unanswered prayers, but the, then I think later he divorced that wife. Well, let's not get uh, into the but, those details. Uh, but his point was, you know,
0: sometimes not getting what you want to right. That's a good thing a good because thing. God's not going to give you what, what would be bad for you. And we don't know that because we remember that. Do you want me to more? See if you nope, remember it? Because we're running out of time. So we're I'll pull we're the lyrics up. Kind of out of uh, out of time here. And I just want to end with this one thing. The relationship is father child relationship. So when you when you pray and the disciples asked Jesus, how should we pray? He started with our father, our father. And remember that we are perhaps the petulant teenager. Something Hold on. Petulant teen- teenager that Go doesn't always have the perspective prayer. and wisdom, but remember, God does. Bro, okay. I'm going to give you one minute to sing. It. O-
1: no, I just wanted to sing in the background. Okay. Sing it Keep now. talking. I'm to done. This man upstairs, that just because he doesn't answer,
0: yeah, I can talk, doesn't mean he don't. Care. very nice we're going to end with that cards, students thank yes. you for putting up with uh wade right, and man. me during this <laughs> COVID 19 scare uh we hope that we were entertaining a little bit and, and that you learned like something the along age. the way as well so until we see you in the fall let I the bird fly